When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I wanted a career in which everything would matter, so I joined the CIA, and now I help protect our families, our friends, and every fellow American. Find out how everything you do in your career can impact our nation. Visit CIA.gov careers to learn more and apply. And what's up, Gamecocks? Welcome in. GC Live, Wes Mitchell here, Chris Clark, Monday episode of the show. This is GC Live, brought to you, as always, by our good buddy Clint Hammond of the Mortgage Network. ClintHammond.com is where you can get more information on what Clint can do to help you. NMLS number 71597. Email address is chammond at mortgagenetwork.com. I didn't realize this to the other day, Chris, but Clint has more phone numbers than anyone on the planet. Uh, I don't even know where all these numbers go. One of them just says mobile. So yeah, I assume that's cell phone. The other one just says phone. Then there's also a third number that goes across the top of our head every day. So I don't know. Call one of these numbers, 803-422-6797, 803-576-4450, or the one you see right there, 803-771-6933. I'd say just go to clinthammond.com, honestly. But if you're in the market for a new home or you want to see what options you may have to possibly refinance, Clint is your guy, and uh, he'll help walk you through that process. Gamecocks, 21. Auburn, 17. The result on Saturday night. Lots of happy Gamecocks Saturday night that has continued over into Sunday and Monday, Chris. Just a... Just a different vibe. I think we talked all offseason, all preseason, about what is a realistic expectation to put on this team, to put on this program, and all offseason. Chris, most people felt like even, I would say, maybe not most, but a lot, most people who are sort of dialed in and, and paying attention and aren't just getting caught up in, in the hype of a new coach honestly thought six might be pushing it. Now, you're South Carolina, you get the six. You have one final regular season game remaining, and you, of course, have a bowl game left, too. Um, you know, you you don't want to say that you're, you're just happy to be at this point. If you're Shane Beamer, if you're the players, or even if you're a fan, you, you still want to go more, you know, win some more games at this point. But at this point in the season, to go ahead and get the six win, Certainly worth giving some love to the program and at least pointing out uh, what what is taken to get to this point. Yeah, and this team has now outperformed the kind of national expectation, which, as we know, Wes is not the end all be all, right? But but they have surpassed that, and I think they have been able to take advantage of some situations where you look at Florida, you look at Auburn. Those teams were not maybe what we thought they were going into this year. And then some other teams, um, you know, on the other side of that, maybe a little bit better than we thought going into this season. So uh, even even with this South Carolina team itself, there's been some areas where they've been better than we've expected. There's been some areas where maybe it's been about the same, some areas where they have not been as good as anticipated. We say that often here on GC Live. And so um, – you know, certainly positive. And I think the biggest thing that stands out about this, Wes, uh, just when you kind of take this season as a whole, one more game in the regular season and then a bowl to go, obviously. Uh, story's still being written. But I think the it's evident that Shane Beamer's talk about culture is not just this empty platitude. It's thrown around so much by coaches. It's a buzzword. It's an eye roller when most people use it. Some people may have even rolled their eyes when Shane Beamer used it. Uh, but I think the way that he's kept this team together and the way that this team has continued to play this season 
in the games, they've been consistent with that. Win or loss, ugly games like Tennessee and A&M, come from behind games, East Carolina, right, Auburn, even even the early stages of the Florida game, it's not like they waxed Florida immediately. It kind of built up over time. Um, they have continued that they have continued to play. This team has, and so that goes back to Shane Beamer's positivity, the culture that he's built, and that's really what stands out. And I think in some ways that's how they've been able to maximize, you know, what this team has had. Have they left some opportunities on the table? Still, sure. I think you point to what probably the Missouri game as the greatest you know, evidence of that, the Kentucky game being another one, but they've also won some games they easily could have lost. Auburn being one, East Carolina being one, that would have looked like a bad loss. Instead, you put it in the win column. Vandy, obviously the greatest example of that. So this team, regardless of the situation, has continued to play. And since they've done that, and I think that's a top-down type of thing, the players deserve a lot of credit, so does Shane Beamer, that's why they're now in the position to go to a bowl in year one, which I think we said, Wes, at the outset before the season, if this team makes a bowl, very good accomplishment for this team in year one. Yeah, no, no. I think, man, you look and every year towards the end of a season, the, the most optimistic of fans will look and say, well, you know, we, we got six wins, but we could have had eight. And the most – um you know, the most pessimistic of fans as far as how they paint the current program will say, well, we only beat Vandy by one and uh, we could have lost to ECU and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And here's the thing. You are what your record says you are. And pretty much every single year, unless you unless you just have a magical season and you go undefeated, which how how many college football players – in the history of the game, even like get to experience that, like an actual perfect season. Every single team, for the most part, can look back and say this could have gone differently or that could have gone differently, and it sort of slides you one way or the other as far as your win total goes. So um, were there missed opportunities this year, like you said, maybe against Missouri, maybe against Kentucky? Yes. Were there opportunities where Carolina could have lost more games? Yes. Um, But right now – as it is, there's one game left in the regular season. They're at six wins. So that's what they are. Um, th- to me, they're they're not a almost, you know, an almost eight-win team. They're not an almost four-win team. They're a six-win team. That's where they are, and that's what you go in the record books. That's what you'll be for the rest of history at this point in the season. So to me, I, I go back to the must-champ era, and – Let's try to learn from the Muschamp era as well. Um, one, I think, I, I think we should acknowledge how impressive this season was so far. I think we shouldn't go overboard with it, uh, like like we maybe did with the nine win Muschamp season, where there were really some teams that were down. And, and now I think a lot of those teams were were further down than some of the teams that this South Carolina team has beaten. But I also think the the one thing, one of my biggest takeaways from the entire Muschamp era, Chris, was the inability to capitalize on opportunities to move the program forward. And it seemed like, I mean, I, I'll still go back to one of those Kentucky home games when South Carolina was coming off of a win at Missouri. They're off to a great start in the season. And it's one of the best atmospheres I'd seen at Williams-Brice Stadium in years. And you score on the first play of the game, and then you lay an egg the rest of the way. Um, to me, if you're going to push a program from where it is to a point that is greater than where it is currently, you have to take advantage when you have opportunities. Did Florida come in a little bit deflated, a little bit defeated? Yes. But did you take advantage of them being in that uh, state of mind? Yes. Did you take advantage of a winnable game against Auburn on Saturday night? Yes, you did. And who, you know, here's the thing. South Carolina until last year hadn't beaten Auburn since when? It was like a hundred years. And now they've beaten them two years in a row. So yeah. there to me, there there is no 
There's no kind of looking at that win and saying, well, it was because of this, it was because of that. No, you beat Auburn. You beat Auburn for the second straight year. It counts as a win. And South Carolina gets all the credit in the world for that. And I got to imagine, even if nobody over there will ever admit it, Chris, <laughs> that one probably felt a little bit better than most. And I don't think Jabari Ellis is dropping the mic on Twitter, posting pictures of Mike Bobo after the game. You know, if if that part just was not a storyline. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that was clearly a storyline in the locker room. If your starting senior defensive lineman is tweeting um, about Mike Bobo. A little motivation. Um, and I can't say, Wes, I really honestly don't know if there was any type of motivation that was uh, anything pointed out to the players going in. But a lot of these players know that Mike Bobo choose, chose to leave in the offseason for Auburn after being here for a little while and taking a look around under the Beamer regime and chose to leave. And they all see that and they all know that. And that sends a message. And they sent one of their own on Saturday. And I'm sure it – I am sure that felt good. Back to your point about beating Auburn. That's, that's exactly right. Savor a win, right? Like, I think back to Spurrier's first season in 2005 – Wes, what stands out to you about that season? Like, what do you think of when you when you think back to Spurrier's first year as being the? I I think of getting some signature wins against teams that South Carolina had not beaten before. I, I remember sitting in my dorm, um, watching them beat Tennessee on the road on that Josh Brown field goal that went yes. barely over the crossbar. And that's what most people are going to remember. I think most people are going to remember, aside from just Spurrier's presence himself, beating Tennessee in Knoxville for the first time and beating Florida at home in Urban Meyer's first year. Like that, that's what people are going to remember. Now, what if I go back and tell you, well, that Tennessee team finished five and six. Now, they're ranked at the time. So South Carolina had beaten a ranked opponent on the road for the first time. I mean, that felt great. And it was an exciting game. It's still awesome. You don't look back and say, well, I, you know, I don't enjoy thinking about that as much because it turns out Tennessee was five and six. No, you did it for the first time. And it was Spurrier. He loved to troll Tennessee. So there are all these built-in things. The Florida game, now that Florida team finished, uh, they finished with nine wins. They went to a bowl. They won nine games. They finished ranked. 30 to 22 win, great environment at for a day game at Williams Bryce. That was another signature win, right? Florida, Spurrier, all that stuff. Um, the point is that Carolina team was kind of unremarkable. I mean, they won seven games. They did pick up a couple signature wins. It doesn't really matter if Florida wasn't what they would become under under Urban Meyer, which is a powerhouse. It doesn't matter that Tennessee was down. So I don't think in year one under Shane Beamer you look at it and go, well, the 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 wins they got, they weren't all that impressive. With where this program's at, there were some toss-up games. There's some games they should win. There's some games that, quite honestly, they shouldn't be picked to win. And they have mostly surpassed the expectations. They have a couple more opportunities, really good opportunities to go and kind of put their stamp on the rest of the year. We'll get into that, of course, as the week wears on South Carolina versus Clemson, the matchup and what that means. Clemson opening as a 14-point favorite. little high, but they did sort of put it together on offense on, on Saturday, so that's obviously weighing in on that. It has already started to slide down. I believe it's about 11 as we uh, sit here at 2.15 on Monday afternoon, Chris. But let, let's talk about South Carolina-Auburn and the actual game and how it played out. And – you know, man, th this is another example of a team that's just sort of hung in there and, and battled. And, you know, I, I think you look down 14 nothing. I never got the sense that there was really any panic in the stadium. Uh, it was kind of business as usual. It it strangely didn't feel like a dominant 14. Some 14 to nothing starts just feel like, well, this game, the, the, the way the Tennessee game started, you know, and South Carolina's down 14 to nothing, and then they have the turnover um, 
Then they have the turnover there, basically, you know, the interception. Oh, you kind of just felt like, man, this game, this game might be over. Auburn game, I didn't get the sense at all. Even with South Carolina down 14 and nothing, just felt like they they were still in the game and they they kept battling. They go down, um, going for it on fourth down, getting the ball to Z White. That's been a it's been a beautiful play for them all year. The the sort of little it's not, I guess it is kind of a pick play, but you're you're wanting your running back isolated in man coverage and you run him across the formation. And that play has been really good to them. It was good to them against Missouri as well. Uh, Quandre White's so good in the passing game anyway. It's a high, it's a high percentage play for South Carolina. So that was, to me, that that didn't turn the game, but obviously it was a huge play in the game. The play that turned the game for South Carolina was honestly the worst call from an opponent that I have maybe ever seen watching a South Carolina game. And that was going for it on fourth and one, one and a half, backed up in your own territory, having Tank Bigsby, who had really been gashing South Carolina. Um, and, and I'll say this. Guys, I have no problem with coaches going for it on fourth down. If it's fourth and one, I wish a coach would go for it from their own 10. If it's fourth and one, go go for it. I, I, res, I respect when coaches go for it. Now, end of the half, you're still up 14 to seven. You, for the most part, controlled the game. I'm probably punting that one away. But if I'm not punting it away, I promise you, Bigsby is getting the football. And I promise you, he's not going to be standing on the sideline watching. I'll be honest, Chris, when it happened at the game, I didn't even realize four wasn't on the field. It wasn't until I rewatched the game that I said, wait a second. That ain't even Tank. He's not even on the field. So if now it was maybe a little long for a quarterback sneak, a little bit long one, but I, that was my first thought when they were lining up to go for it. I was like, I have Cam Newton at quarterback, essentially from a physical standpoint. I'm going to tell him to reach the ball over, over the line. But I, I darn sure not going to play action and throwing the ball down the field. That was <laughs> Richard Hewitt says, but still works for SC. Um, I, I thought great point here before I forget on the primal gourmet chat line game cat, Ryan Marcellus Dowlett, excellent discipline on that play to not let the receiver run by him. That's right. Cause they had, they had a little uh, kind of the route combination that they had on there. Wes um, was kind of designed to muck things up and try to get the defensive backs confused. I think they ended up motioning or something into kind of a trip. So they had kind of a bunch formation and it was a really good job. You saw the DBs communicating before, Marcellus Dow picked up that vertical route and, and played it beautifully. Um, you know, a better throw maybe makes it a 50-50 ball, but but you're right. I, I thought it was I thought it was it was the worst call. I can't think of a worse call I've seen, honestly. Like in terms of just a decision, we're gonna throw the ball. Um I the way that game was going, Wes, I was more in favor if I am an Auburn fan. I know you said go for it fourth and one. I punt that ball from there. Um, yeah, no, I'm 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 punting it too in that scenario. I'm just saying, yeah, yeah. In general, I always applaud when coaches have the gut to go on fourth and one. Considering all that was going on there, I'm I'm 100 punting. Yeah, yeah and I would have punted. And, and no, and I listened to Brian Harson, the Auburn coach, after, and, and his explanation wasn't great. He kind of, well, being aggressive, and it's like, okay, I get that. You know, when they when they came out on the field, I'm going, oh, I wouldn't do this. But if they hand the ball off to Tank and he gets two yards, you're going, all right. You know, <laughs> I mean, so I, that was mind boggling to me, mind boggling. And uh, all the Auburn fans agree with us, I think, based on uh, based on their reactions. The the Auburn message boards on Saturday and Sunday, excellent reading. Let me tell you, if you're if you're bored, I'm still I'm sure there's still some good stuff on there. Go check them out. Whew. Um, they mad. They're big mad. Like they are big mad uh, about this game. And it's not just about that call. It's just about the entire game. Up fourteen and nothing. 
you know, the, the Auburn Twitter tw- Twitter trolls that trolled South Carolina because they stole Bobo away and then, you know, stole Will Friend and got Tracy Rocker, who up and left them as well, um, and got Derek Mason when South Carolina was interested in him. They are not, I was about to say they're quiet now. They're not quiet, but they're just ready. They're ready to move on, some of them already from this regime. It's been a weird start to the Harson era. And so did, did he kiss? I, I didn't see his Did he take credit for or blame, I should say, for that play call? Like I, I actually saw I saw a high school coach at halftime of the game. And I was chatting with him about that. And I was like, dude, that was a terrible call by Bobo. And I was really just talking junk about Bobo, honestly. I was just like trolling the guy. Um, and he said, well, it may have not been Bobo's call. Obviously, it's the head coach's call to go for it on fourth down. Did he say that it was his call to want to throw as well? Um, or did he really give details on that? He didn't say so. What the one thing he said, and I'll I'll pull it up to be sure that I'm remembering it correctly. Uh, from Auburn Sports, our friends at AuburnSports.com, Harson said, "Well, you saw we took a shot on that, being aggressive and trying to extend the drive. We could run it, and we had the shot right there, so we took it. That was part of being in that situation. Not maybe not in particular that yard line right there, but that play trying to take shot on fourth down." We were on the road, and you want to give yourself a chance, hopefully hitting a big play, and we felt like we needed to hit some explosive plays in this game. In practice, that was a good play for us, and we felt like it was a good opportunity there to be aggressive and take that shot opportunity. <clears throat> I mean, I get it. I get I get everything he's saying if you remove <laughs> the context of that being fourth and one with Tank on the on the sideline on your own in, way in your own territory. I get yeah, you remove the context of pretty much everything, everything else. Like I'm all for, you know, being aggressive, needing explosive plays. Yes. I'm with you on second down, you know, or something. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I'm not sure to, to kind of, I can't answer the question of is, is it Bobo? Is it Harson? I mean, we do know that sometimes head coaches say, Hey, take a shot here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that happens all the time. So it's very possible. Yeah, I you know what, man, even I'll maybe even applaud a fourth and one play action if you know, if you're if you're down at the South Carolina thirty-five or something and you're you're not going it was just such a low percentage play. And if shoot, man, if, if you're a team that's just getting stuffed, but you feel like you have to go for it on a fourth and one, like you're down in the game or something. You know, and they go play action and roll the quarterback out and try to create something on the edge instead of just pounding it in the middle because you haven't been able to do that all day. That's a completely different context, right? Like, I, it's not to, – to me, it's just you still have the lead. It's the end of the half. Carolina's offense did score the last drive but hadn't really done a ton in the game at that point. You just – you get – I mean, you gave that stadium life. Like, you gave that stadium life. Um, that that completely turned the game. I'll say this, man. What what do you what do you think creates like that atmospheric surge uh, more than anything else? As far as like any type of play that can happen in a game, because I I will say this. I feel like when a team has gotten some momentum, and then a running back has like a six-yard gain, and then he stays up, and then his offensive linemen come in and start cleaning it up, and that pile starts moving from six yards to seven yards to eight yards. We saw that several times on Saturday. To me, that that just that's one of the top maybe five happenings as far as what can just generate a crowd buzz. Now, I feel like a obviously a turnover on downs or an interception or something like that gives that like instant energy. But as far as just the building up of a crowd and the players feeding off the crowd, the crowd feeding off the players, um, those moments when it seems like when South Carolina has plays like that, that means good things are going to happen on that night. 
Yeah, I, that's immediately where my mind went. Um, you know, a sack is another thing you could add in. But the, the play where, you know, and there were multiple big runs by Zaquandre White, you know, where or a back like him is making guys miss, you know, kind of dragging defenders. Remember that run where, you know, it creates that scrum, you know, in the offensive lineman, like you said, helping help clean it up. Remember the the long run that he had where he's making defenders miss and all that kind of stuff. Those tend to get people pretty fired up, I think. And so uh, that that really builds the atmosphere. Um, those are big ones. I think Carolina also, I think their defense kind of helped themselves and helped the atmosphere too by making some big plays. We saw some big, I pass, never believed big pass breakups in this game. Us. And like is um, money. And I- so those things all stand out. But definitely, I think Zaquandre White, he's able to take his energy and like, by osmosis, like transmits it to the crowd, like his energy translates into his running style and then, and then kind of feeds into the crowd because he had some huge plays in this game. Well, let's keep it right there, man. It, is it, is it official that Z white is currently the best running back on this team right now? Can, can we, is that definitive? Can we say that? I, yeah, I, I, I think so. And yeah, I think the coaches probably think that right now. You know, they're giving them the most run. Um, you know, I, I think give give them credit. They they found something in the run game. I think Beamer talked about that a lot. How they mainly found two runs and just stuck with them because, I mean, why why try to change it if you're having success in the run game with a couple different runs? They ran the duo. They ran the the counter play. Uh, Kevin Harris had some really nice runs on the counter. It side note, some of Harris's runs looked like last season. Remember there'd be these runs last year where they run the counter and Harris is Harris out on the edge and there's just nobody there. We saw that sometimes. The uh, Zaquandre White going back to him, such an asset in the past game. That little, you know, play that you were talking about, Wes, the pass play that was really well set up. He can just do so many things for you. Such a tough runner, just such such high energy. Um, it's amazing to think that he started the season as the starter kind of disappeared for several games and then got back in there. And he, he has not relinquished that spot. Well, and Chris, I think we've talked, you know, a decent amount this year about the backs and how, yes, you have all these backs that you, you want to keep them happy, right? Like you, you want to keep them all involved and you have four of them. And frankly, four of them, you know, all, all four, would probably help most South Carolina teams, in my opinion. Like, if if the two that aren't really playing as much right now were on most South Carolina teams, they'd probably be out there helping the team. I think we have seen them start the season by trying to keep everybody happy, honestly. Then, for a stretch, it was it was White that was kind of the, the odd man out among the bunch, and there was this push to get Juju the football. And then, you know, I thought there was actually probably mid to mid and two-thirds mark of the season, like that little section. It actually seemed like um, that Marshawn Lloyd was about to get a little bit of a push. And now it feels like the last, what would you say, I guess the last three games, certainly the last two games, they have paired the rotation we talked about it. they paired the rotation at receiver down, and they've definitely paired the rotation down at running back, and they've said, look, White and Harris are the two best guys right now, two most complete backs. They uh, are do well together as a duo as far as being a little bit different style for opponents to prepare for. Um, they're good uh, without the football as well, and – I was trying to pull up your your snap count from this morning, Chris, but it it was there was a distinct difference. Uh, White with thirty two snaps, Harris with twenty four, then yeah, Juju with four, and Lloyd with just two snaps. And you know, I I think Juju's a freshman; he's going to get his chances one day. Like he he's got a bright future in this program, but I think you look and right now. The two oldest guys, the two now sort of most experienced guys, 
are White and Harris. And to me, it's it's just a little bit different when they're on the field. Yeah, it is. And it, it has evolved <laughs> during the course of the season. Um, a lot of things have evolved, you know, about this team, which is kind of interesting. I think taking a deep dive after the year is finished and kind of going back and looking at how things started, how things ended, particularly on offense, some interesting differences there. And the running back rotation is one. And so, hey, credit to Zaquandre White because this guy's an excellent teammate, which we knew. He's a high-energy guy, and he never let that slip. You know, there were several games where he wasn't getting much run, uh, but he, he was patient. He waited. He got back in there, and now he's he's the top option there. Kevin Harris has found his stride. You know, I was watching Marshawn Lloyd in, in warm-ups, Wes, and he looks like high school Marshawn Lloyd, you know. But – when you look at White, when you look at Harris, those guys have earned it, and they're playing really, really well, and they're giving this team, you know, the best chance in the coach's mind offensively. And when you watch them play, you know, you can you can see that. You can see why they're uh, they're playing the most, and you can see why they're on the field right now. I, I thought they did a really good job of bouncing the football to the outside, and I thought Auburn did a really bad job of setting the edge. Like the edge was not set. There's a lot of there's a lot of plays in this game, at least it felt like, where it was almost a stalemate up front between the O-line and the D-line, but Carolina's backs were able to bounce it out and find uh, you know, room, find green grass. And I, I think you look, and there's been a lot of times this year where the Carolina O-line wasn't only not getting a push, but was giving up a lot of negative plays. And it seemed like there there were several plays this week where it wasn't that they just hammered them, but it wasn't that it was a negative play either. It was kind of a little bit of just a stalemate. And then the backs were making a very, very quick decision to say, I'm bouncing this. And, and it was there. It was there for a lot of the, the night, I, I feel like. So I, I don't know exactly what spurred that. Um, but, but, you know, Beamer and those guys clearly felt like the two runs they were calling were a good fit both for these two kids and for what they were seeing from, from Auburn's defense. I, I thought it was a little bit it was a little bit petty that Harson seemed to take offense, if that's the word, to Beamer saying we we only ran two plays. And he was talking about they only ran two particular run calls basically in the second half. If you heard Beamer say it, in no way was he even thinking about Auburn in that moment. How how much have we all talked about the run game struggles all season long, man? You know, we're tired of talking about the offensive struggles. Beamer's probably tired of hearing about it, certainly tired of a- answering questions about it. In no way was he say was he throwing Auburn under the bus, was he throwing their coaches under the bus, was he throwing shade at them? He was just trying to say, look, our guy, we didn't, we didn't try to outthink them. We didn't try to um, trick them. Our guys went and executed in a physical football game. He was trying to pay his guys a compliment and give them some credit. So, Harson, not everything is about you is kind of my takeaway. You know what I mean? Like what, like this, this is, this is why coaches feel like they can't say anything in press conferences because it's a completely innocent comment, but apparently there was a little bit of issue with that. Yeah. I, I didn't see anything wrong with it at the time either. I, I took it the exact same way you did in that we found something and we stuck with it. And I don't think, you know, you ask a coach, Hey, what did you find in the game that was successful? Or, Hey, I saw that, you know, for people who actually observed the game, I saw that you ran this particular pass concept. You know, I mean, what? Think about that the the John Hope Georgia game, the Grayson uh, Grayson Lambert game. I mean, they ran a slant seven hundred times, right, and completed I think six hundred ninety nine of them. So, I mean, coming out of that, I don't know what what was said at the time, but if a coach would have said, "Hey, notice the slant had a lot of success," you'd say, "Yeah, we we ran that a lot. We saw it. We liked it." An innocent comment. I think think things are kind of testy in Auburn right now, Wes. They've been testy from the get-go. 
I know you and I both kind of heard some things about internally at Auburn. This this season has not gone all that great. It's been a weird year. They dismissed their wide receiver coach a few games into the season. Weird fit. Brian Harson's kind of a weird fit there. Our guy John Bryce at Football Scoop actually has Brian Harson on the list for the Washington job. So very interesting. Very interesting times out there. I think a little bit testy and Definitely kind of under fire for the fan base, which from the fan base, which can kind of, you know, make you a little more testy in press conferences. Yeah, and we're we're not gonna I'm not gonna get all up in this, Chris, but at least ironic, right? I hopefully my English teacher isn't working and she'll tell me why or listening and she'll tell me why why this isn't ironic, but I think it's ironic. Maybe I'm misusing it, but he's mentioned for the Washington job which Washington State fired their coach because he wouldn't get vaccinated, which is a state uh, – it's a law for state employees in the state of Washington. And there's a lot of discussion among Auburn people right now because Harson reportedly will not disclose if he's vaccinated or not. He, he hasn't said that he's not, but he hasn't said that he, that he is. So there, there's – I think weird is just the word for the the start to the tenure there. It was kind of an odd fit in the first place. And Auburn, Auburn people are different, man. They're they're different. And they they tried to run Gus out for years and they they finally got it done. You you remember when they tried to run Gus out? And then I think they it was like they were trying to run him out. Then he made it to the SEC championship game. Then Arkansas was going to try to hire Gus away from them, and then they're like, well, we were going to fire him, but now that you want him, we're going to give him a raise. You know, it was, it was almost like it's almost like somebody wanting to break up with their girlfriend until they realize somebody else is interested. Yeah. They get jealous. Um, they're, they're, they're a different bunch, man. It, it, that is the, hey, that's a, it's the weirdest football team in, in ever, and – you know, it, it's a it's a different place. I mean, if you talk to people who have worked there in athletics or whatever, like it's a different place. I mean, they all say the same thing. I don't know what it is exactly, but it is different. Gus Malzahn definitely uh, year to year, you know, to kind of set his hot seat status, and sometimes even week to week, he would he would set his hot hot seat status. And he's doing well at UCF, man. I think that's a I think that's a really good fit for for Gus Malzahn. Speaking of hot seats, we have to talk at least for a moment about the Dan Mullen firing at Florida. Um, I don't know, man. I I know I know the stats that were kind of thrown around about it last ten games against FBS opponents, last however many games that were, you know, within seven points they lost, and and I know they lost to Missouri in overtime. Blah 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 blah. Firing a guy who was in the SEC championship last season. I don't know. And I, and I know Mullen is a weird fit as well. Like that's what you hear that he, he's a weird fit there. And it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily, he's not necessarily that well liked off the field. The recruit, now the recruiting concern stuff, I'm sure that hurt him. And, and maybe Florida would be proved to be like, prophetic for uh you know to to like to go out and and just make the move before things go completely bad but i mean at some point you you are allowed to have a down year right like you like you're a, you're not you're not going to just win every is this what is this what saban has done to everyone like saban's success means everybody thinks you can just be good every single year like I, I don't I don't know like I I feel like coaches I know how well they're paid don't get me wrong but everybody can't win sorry so you just you just fire I mean bad season get them out yeah I, I think it was a unique situation I don't think we'll see that everywhere but Florida's a unique job because it is a pressure cooker you're expected to win and you're expected to win in a certain way you have to win and you're going to do it with style points, you know? And so Dan Mullen wasn't really into style points. 
he would he would, for instance, beat Samford and talk about how it's a great win, even though his defense gave up fifty something points to an FCS team. You know, he had the comment after the bowl about how because he had some injuries and opt outs. I thought our second team played well. Things like that. I think what undid Dan Mullen was a variety of factors. One being the Florida pressure cooker. Weird fit, like you said. Um, not the most he did not exactly endear himself to a lot of people, including key people. I think it's Kirby's smart success that was was Dan Mullen's undoing, particularly in recruiting, where it looks like Georgia's just sitting around figuring out how to troll Florida by taking all their commitments. Um, the recruiting aspect was a huge concern because if you have a down year, Wes, but you said you can point to, well, I have the number two recruiting class in the country coming in. Okay. Yeah, you're probably allowed to have a down year. And then if some of these other factors aren't there, if you've endeared yourself to people, if you're well-liked, et cetera, everything I think just piled up and snowballed for Dan Mullen to where when he had the down year, they they took advantage of that situation, I think. I was even hearing at the end of last year, Wes, like you said, they played in the SEC championship game last year. And hung After, in there, by the way. And hung in there. After that game, you hear – I don't really like Mullen. and they may get rid of him. You're like, what? Well, I mean, what is going on here? But you hear you heard some of these things where they're not recruiting well, people don't like him, et cetera. And so I think it was just kind of the perfect storm and it snowballed on him. Would you have done the same if you were running Florida's athletic department? That's a tough question. You know what? I would say yes, believe it or not. Um, which is, I fully recognize, because, like, like, I agree with your point. Are you not allowed to have a bad year? But I think you look at some of the decisions and all these different things I laid out where if I'm an AD, I'm thinking that way, particularly when I look around the landscape and I'm, I'm looking at what Georgia's doing in recruiting. I'm worried about others catching up or maybe passing you. I'm looking at what Florida should be. I think it was more indicative of not just having a bad season, I think they looked at the direction of the program Mm. and they're trying to get out in front of any slippage. So if I go out and I say, we can keep doing this and gamble, or we can go hire somebody else and start over, I can see why it'd be tempting to, to hit the reset button. Yeah. And I just, I don't know, man. I feel like sometimes we look at, we look at small sample sizes as being a trend. Now, again, there, there's that stat floating around. that's like, his record the last 10 FBS games or whatever it is. Y'all have seen similar. There's a lot of bad stats about the last two seasons at Florida. Um, but, I mean, when, when they saw their opportunity, they 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 pounced on it, man. I mean, how, fit, fit is a hard thing to describe, and it's a hard thing to find, but it, it is important. It, it does matter. And, in, you know, endearing yourself to the right people and – you know, it's not like he did himself any favors with the media either, which I think matters as well. All, all that stuff matters. The perception matters. Connection with your fan base matters. I think I think Dan Mullen wanted to be Steve Spurrier from a standpoint of, I just want to go call ball plays and not worry about the rest. But there's only one Steve Spurrier. And there'll probably only ever be one. See, you can't in this in today's landscape. You ha- you have to recruit. Yeah, and he wasn't really that concerned about it. And I don't even mean what he said in the press conference. We'll talk about that during recruiting season. Just things you hear. Just not super involved. Just not super engaged on the recruiting front. And if you're an SEC head coach, you you must be engaged or you will get passed. Somebody else is going to be recruiting if you're not. Um, and so I think that was, again, that was another one of the things people did. Well, you have Dan Mullen here. Who are they going to compare themselves to? It's going to be Georgia. And you look at how Kirby Smart recruits. He's maniacal about it, how well they're playing on the field, how much talent they have, and how much they're stacking up. And I think that was you know a critical part of this decision. Yeah, talent, and they're just adding talent on top of talent. More talent coming in pretty much every single day. They just added another big-time defensive back um, over the weekend. So, yeah, that's not slowing down anytime soon. Speaking of recruiting, 
I, I think the Florida move and the Virginia Tech move uh, could potentially pay some dividends for South Carolina, Chris. We've already seen it. Um, DeAndre Martin taking his official visit over the weekend. Uh, you know, we spoke to him. Th- that went great. Uh, I think checked all the boxes for him. Uh, a, a kid that I, I think South Carolina has put themselves in, I would say, excellent position with off of that official visit. I'll be very curious to see how much does the Florida move help South Carolina with some of those guys. Obviously, Jamari Lyons, we've talked about him quite a bit on the show. Major target for Carolina. Uh, you know, they're going to keep working him. C.J. Smith is another intriguing one to keep an eye on. Clearly, Carolina wants receivers. They want playmakers at that position. And he has not officially decommitted. He basically said, I'm going to look around, but I'm not decommitted, which I I sort of actually misread the first time I saw the tweet because I saw decommitted in capital letters. And he said, you know, I just want to see what's out there. But I've also been told, Chris, that He's going to primarily be looking at the schools he was looking at prior, the schools that he's taken official visits to, and that he is wanting to go somewhere where he can play both sports. He's a he's excellent on the track as well as being a, a great wide receiver. So Gamecocks, I, I I still I still think he ends up at Florida, honestly, as we sit here today, if I was like handicapping it, but it does feel like that door may be cracked. Yeah, and that'll be the the key. You know, who does Florida hire? To me, that's a question. As he said in his statement, he wants to make sure that he can still run track in college too and play football. So, you know, obviously that's a conversation you want to have with the new head football coach at Florida. Are they okay with that? Um, I would wager that they are with a guy like him. But this is a guy that's a Gator legacy, you know. So they were tough to beat the first time around they're probably going to be tough to beat the second time around, you know, as well. But something to watch. If the door is cracked, then, you know, try to get yourself in there and, and see what happens. You know, Jaden Gibson's another one that is still committed, but kind of looking around. South Carolina, I don't think, was the the top challenger at the time of his commitment. They didn't get an official visit. They had an unofficial visit in the summer. So does he go take some official visits? If so, does South Carolina get one? Uh, Jamari Lyons is another one. South Carolina finished second. Again, I think that's one where the, I don't want to say the staff was a non-factor, but I think just being a Florida guy and Florida being close to home for him, I think those are even bigger factors. So uh, could it open the door? Maybe so. Um, but early returns that I got on Lions were that, you know, he was probably more likely to stick with Florida. Let's uh, let's go ahead and, and dive a little bit into this Clemson game, Chris. We'll, of course, hit it. All week long, so we, you know, we only got 12 minutes left. We don't have to go all into it, but it does sort of feel like South Carolina goes into this game feeling confident in a good place mentally. Big couple of, you know, big couple of wins, two out of the last three. Clemson struggled for pretty much the entire season on offense, and now it, it certainly feels like they have started to find themselves offensively as well. I, I really didn't get to see a whole lot of the Clemson win over Wake Forest. Obviously, that was a, a big win for them, a needed win for them. They scored some points. They ran the football. Um, both uh, Kobe Pace and Will Shipley had big games on the ground, I think. Uh, what's your early takeaway from this Clemson team, Chris? You know, I did get to watch almost all of that game, Wes, and um, I, I do think Clemson – I don't want to go as far as far as to say that they've hit their stride offensively because you do have to keep in mind that they were playing Wake. Now you say, well, what do you mean? Wake was 9-1. and one. They were a top-10 team in that game. Uh, they played great. They have. Their defense has also not been very good. Wake has, has done what they've done largely on the strength of their offense all year. That, I think, is even bigger concern, right? So Clemson defensively, you know they're going to be – talented um, they've got some depth they do have some injuries and on all sides of the ball um, but they've got talent they've got really smart players they're going to throw a lot at you you know you know with Brent Venable's style he's going to throw a lot of junk at you particularly up front to try to confuse you cause havoc cause pressure so anytime you're playing them it's a big concern in terms of your eye discipline quarterback play not turning the football over 
offensively, they're still not great, in my opinion. Uh, but they do. They did, got, got Shipley back. He's played well. Pace is very capable. Um, they're down a bunch of receivers because they've had so many injuries. I, I look at one area. I was asked today, where can South Carolina take advantage? I do think South Carolina's defensive line against Clemson's offensive line, that's an area where they have a chance to make a difference, and they're going to have to, I think, to win this game. Chris, why don't you tell everybody about Dead Soxie? Yeah, so uh, check out deadsoxy.com. Great supporter of the show. Awesome socks, men's and women's. Full catalog at deadsoxy.com, D-E-A-D-S-O-X-Y.com, and you can use the promo code COCKY at checkout to get 25% off your entire order. Yeah, we appreciate Dead Soxy and all of our sponsors. We appreciate Primal Gourmet. Uh, you see that little logo if you're watching on the live stream every single day. That's our, our chat sponsor. Uh, check them out, primalgourmetsc.com. Chris, pretty good weekend or slash week in Gamecock Nation. South Carolina football, win over Auburn, women's soccer, Elite Eight. Um, you know, we, we had Coach Shelly Smith at our kickoff party, and she was telling us before the season how many of her players were coming back off of injuries. And she was just kind of waiting to see how they were all going to put it together. And, you know, I'm not a soccer expert by any means, but it seemed like this team maybe has kind of just slowly come along as the season's progressed. They've gotten healthy, and now they are in the Elite Eight. So congrats to them. And then South Carolina's women's basketball team, actually right before we went on the air here today, Chris, beating UConn. Uh, they, South Carolina will remain number one, uh, beating UConn by double digits, actually outscoring them uh, 10 to nothing down the stretch, had a 10-0 run. And they were losing this game early. I can't remember the exact number. But they were losing this game early on and came back and, and another great win for Perdon Staley. This – may be one of the most difficult schedules on paper that I have ever seen. And they'll face UConn again later on in the season. You got to feel like there may be a collision course uh, between these two teams in postseason play as well. Yeah, Chris Walbaum, who does a great job covering women's basketball for us at GamecockCentral.com, mentioned this could be the first of three, potentially, between South Carolina and UConn. They were down double digits, Wes, in that first half, closed the gap to three at halftime and then just pulled away in the second half. Uh, Aaliyah Boston, big down the stretch. Henderson Cook, great defense, caused more turnovers. UConn in the second half. Did, did a really good job on Beckers, I think, defensively as well. So, uh, big win for them. Women's soccer team, that was great to see. They've had some adversity. They've had some, some tough losses this year as well that I think maybe weren't expected, but they're hitting their stride at the right time. Uh, got a big win over North Carolina, I think, in the opening round. Got to play North Carolina, who was, what, number two in the country. Beat those girls and are, are continuing to roll, so they're doing a they're doing a great job. No doubt we'll see what happens. Uh, but they're in the Elite Eight. That is, I would say, almost always a successful season. So congrats to them. We'll see if the Gamecocks and the Tigers, uh, if South Carolina can continue their winning ways on the football field. Um, this week as well. And Tiger Burn is tonight, Chris. Uh, from what I understand, Kendall Smith, our excellent intern at Gamecock Central, is going to be out there and provide some views from Tiger Burn. So it, it'll be a fun week. We'll let you know what our schedule is going to be. Obviously, um, probably will not have a, uh, a show on Thursday for Thanksgiving, but we'll let you know what we're going to do the rest of the week. Uh, good, good point here from John Wilson on Facebook. How about the Trey Jones touchdown, man? Uh, that was awesome, man. Uh, good, good play call in that situation. You, you had to figure South Carolina had been kind of setting that up. Uh, Jones, super athletic dude. I think people forget. At camp uh, in the summer when he committed to South Carolina, in the, what was he, in the 2020 class, Wes? four six nine forty. And he was 280 pounds, something like that, now up in the 300s, but a super athletic guy and actually played some tight end H back at the high school level too for Abbeville. Obviously, great program up at Abbeville, and he helped those guys win a lot of games. So he has the athleticism to, athleticism to do it. They debuted, I think it was against Florida, where they debuted that offset fullback type of role for Trey Jones. 
He's been a lead blocker and doing a really good job in that role and just kind of leaked him out there. Really good job on the route. Really good catch and getting over the line. So that was awesome to see. Well, and we we talked about it last week, Chris. If here's the thing, they know at this point that you're going to run the football when Trey Jones is in there. So they don't really have to account for him as a pass catcher. But now they kind of at least have to know that possibility is there. So you sort of have to commit that man to to making sure you don't completely lose him um, in in a pass situation. So I I thought it was a great play because it worked, but it also helps maybe – it helps those formations work even more in the future. Um, Another comment on here. How about the the throw against his body from Jason Brown? Uh, that that was nice, man. That that was really nice. Um, I also I didn't realize live until I saw uh, the replay on the on the board just how just really accurate and crisp of a pass that that was. That that was a great throw. When you get down to the goal line, you're going to have to make throws in tighter windows. He's going against his body and. Uh, that, that, that thing was nice, man. Like that—that that was one of the better throws I think he has made. Yeah, it was extremely impressive. That the zip, the accuracy on it. I mean, he put it right there. Could couldn't have really handed it to Josh Van, Van any better, which is really impressive because he is rolling to his left. Josh Van ran a nice route. He's absolutely sprinting, you know, to the end—not to the end line, but to the side of the end zone. And Brown placed it right there, you know, against his body. So a great throw there. Um, that was. That was the type of thing, the type of play that Jason Brown can make, and that's one of the things we talk about when he can make some plays that other people on the roster maybe can't make. I think that was an example of one of them. I wonder – hey, I, by the way, before we get out, I saw Jason Brown. We have a picture in our photo gallery on Gamecock Central of Jason Brown talking to T.J. Finley of Auburn after the game, and I got to wonder, was Jason jealous of T.J. Finley's spin out? Did you see the spin out? TJ Finley spin out on that play. Wait, wait, which play? It, it was just one of one of the plays. He was under pressure and he had a spin out. Go back and watch it. Nasty. It was nasty. The TJ Finley spin out, and I'll give you. Pro- I thought about you when I was sitting there watching the game because a lot of people think about Finley. He's this big six seven two fifty guy, but you were talking about one of his plays he made against Georgia State, where he kind of moved around in the pocket. So. Yeah, man, he had he had he had a spin out in that game. Yeah, he he's not not mobile. You know, like it, everybody likes to say, "Oh, he's he's not a runner, dude." That and I'm I don't think this was a spin out. I think this was a different play. Carolina had him sacked, backed up um, at his own goal line, and I mean there were three or four dudes around him, and he just somehow yeah, exactly. got out of there and ended up getting uh, the first down. Yeah, he's like, no, nah, I don't really feel like going down right now. Yeah, that that he, you know, Cam Cam Newton just feels like the cheap um, comparison. But as far as how he moves, he's not Cam. As you know, Cam was a generational type college player. In no way am I saying he's that, but just the way he sort of can just juke people, for lack of a better way to say it, at that size and just move laterally. Um, dude has great feet, great balance. So credit to him. Um, he's got a massive arm, man. I I thought I thought RG three did a pretty good job of explaining actually some of the negatives of being a super tall guy and throwing downhill from from such a high spot. I think so. Finley's a very intriguing player. Like that that dude has a that dude has one of the strongest arms I've seen. Um, but is not always some some of his throws were super accurate. That that deep uh that corner route he threw early in the game on the sideline where he rolled right and threw back left. That thing got there in a hurry, man. But he also I think struggles at times underneath and with touch passes and stuff like that. Yeah, he, he did have some inaccurate throws and South Carolina's defensive backs, I think, did a really good job you know, playing tight coverage, and they were able to knock some balls down too, which was going to be key. So that was something going in. You know, if you you got to try to affect T.J. Finley. South Carolina did get him down. What, they get him down once in that game? Maybe twice? I can't remember their sack totals. I specifically remember one sack 
late in that game. I think Brad Johnson and J.J. Anigbari were in on it. Um, so they didn't get to him a ton. They were able to affect him at times. He did have some nice throws, but also South Carolina's DBs with tight coverage, I think they were able to affect those throwing windows as well. Yeah, Travis pointing out he threw a, a seed on that fourth and long that I thought at the time might be the difference in Carolina winning the game, honestly. So, um, anyway, all right, y'all, good stuff. Uh, that's the hour mark. Appreciate the support. Appreciate our sponsors. We'll see you all tomorrow, 2 o'clock. For Chris, I'm Wes. Y'all have a good one. At Baker's, we work with local farms right in our own backyard to bring you food that's fresher than fresh. From homegrown watermelon that makes your mouth water to crisp corn picked right around the corner. Come pick out some yourself because shopping for local produce should be as easy as shopping at your local Baker's. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.